All right, well, uh, that's about the haven of hope. And so uh, this is a ministry here in Manchester uh, that we just see God at work in and uh, we want to partner with. And so kind of what happened is they came to us, said, hey, we have some needs. Uh, First Baptist, would you guys like to partner with us? And we thought, you know, just like we did about a month ago with Good Samaritan, we'd put together a video, let the body know that there's a need. And then if you feel led to partner uh, with this ministry as we are, uh, here in your worship guide, there's a list of items that they're in need for. And so this is such a, a worthy ministry. Um, they're doing incredible things here in our community. And so we want to support them and we kind of want to put this in front of y'all. And so uh, here's what we're going to do in the, in the next two weeks. If you want to run on down to Walmart and buy a couple of these items and then next week we'll have some bins set up, probably one in the Welcome Center and the other by the library. And so you can buy a couple of these items and then bring them next week put them in there, or you can bring it the next week after that. The deadline is February 26th to get these items in, and then we'll take them over to the Haven of Hope. So deadline, again, is February 26th, and if you bring items after that date, we will thank you, and then we will give you the address to Haven of Hope, and we'll let you take it on down there. So anyway, if you're uh, a guest with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us, and we'd like to get to know you. One of the ways we can do that is through the guest registration card located in the pew rack. So if you could take that, fill it out. There's a place if you want to receive our newsletter, if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, Right now, our kids are invited. Oh, wait, that's not true. Stay stay put, kids. I'm a creature of habit, and uh, I just went on with my normal spiel. Anyway, we're going to continue to worship together. Let's, uh, Let's take a moment to stand and greet those around us.
Dismiss the children, ages uh, ages four years old through third grade. They're going to head out this direction. Uh, follow the Pied Piper this way, over that way, and uh, we'll bring them back to you. So uh, if you've not done this before, uh, toward the end of the service, they'll come marching back in. So you don't even have to do anything. Uh, they'll go down and have a worship service that's a little more a uh, little more geared toward their age. So this morning. Uh, this has turned out to be our one of our church's favorite little renditions of a song. I did a study a little while back about hymnology, and we talked about how in the uh, early on that a lot of times uh, they would take the text of a, of a of a Christian song, or basically a, a a pastor would write a text, and then they would put it to a popular song of that day. Uh, and so what we did is we decided to do something similar to that, and we put Amazing Grace to a song I think. You're going to recognize. So here we go. Ready?
out there. Let's bring it back memories, right? You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. Ashamed of what I've done, what 
character to do those kinds of things for 
for a person who is misabuses us or mistreats us, Lord. It's so far out of our character to do anything nice for those people. So it's beyond our imagination how you could do that for us. You could do that for the very people who hung you on a cross, who spit in your face. And Lord, yet you do. You go to the cross. You die for us and take the weight of our sins on your own back. And Lord, we're just left in amazement asking how How, how can it be? We may not understand it, Lord, but we love you and we appreciate it. And we thank you so much for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Great to see you today. As we look together at God's Word, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling us how we're supposed to live. If you become a follower of Jesus, if you become a a Christian, how are you supposed to live? Well, Jesus gives us in Matthew 5 through 7 some teaching about how we're supposed to live. And the theme of this Sermon on the Mount is we're supposed to live differently. If we're following Jesus, we're going to have to be different in order to be like Him. And we're in Matthew 5 where Jesus is giving us six examples of what the different life will look like. We've looked at two so far. We're looking at a third today. We looked at the first one where Jesus contrasts the current interpretation of the Old Testament with his teaching. And he said, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry in your heart, then you're guilty of murder. And then we saw secondly that Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has committed adultery in their heart. So he's taking the the law and how they'd sort of boxed it into just the act, and he's applying it even deeper to the attitude. Now we're going to come to the third example of how Jesus says the different life looks in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. And we're going to talk about what Jesus says about divorce and remarriage. And I know this is, a, this is a tender subject to folks. We've got a lot of folks, maybe you've been hurt deeply. When you're, when you're hurt in a marriage, you're hurt at the deepest part of your life. And so there's raw emotion for folks, and, and maybe you tend to be defensive when anybody talks about it. Would you listen to Jesus this morning? Jesus loves you. Jesus wants the best for you. Jesus is going to tell you the truth when nobody else will tell you the truth. So let's listen together to what Jesus has to say. First of all, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, he tells the current view, it has been said, this is the formula he's starting with in each of these examples, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now that was the current interpretation of the Old Testament law. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 24 to read the actual passage that it was talking about there. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, said this in the Old Testament law If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her away from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies 
Then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she had been defiled. This would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So the Old Testament law sounds sort of strange to us, but it says that if a man divorced his wife and she married another, and then he could never take her back. And what this was doing, the intent of it, was to limit the damage of divorce on the vulnerable, the woman who had no rights, who had no economic ability. It's saying you're going to be, have to treat marriage seriously because if you get rid of your wife and write a certificate of divorce, It's never going to be coming back. You can't just toss her away and accept her back. It's not a light thing. This is big. This is serious. And so what was intended as a law to protect the vulnerable woman in that position to say, look, if you divorce her, this is not a throwaway kind of thing. You're never going to have her back. It became an excuse for divorce. And that was the current interpretation that Jesus is contrasting to. Look again at at Matthew 24, verse 1. And it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. What constitutes something indecent? Well, the rabbis, that is the religious teachers of Jesus' day, were in a big disagreement. I want to share a little background so you'll understand this. The rabbis of Jesus' day were in a big disagreement on what were the acceptable grounds for divorce. What constitutes, from Matthew 24, 1, something indecent? And there were two rabbis, Shammai and Hillel, that were sort of the conservative and liberal view on this. And Shammai said it could only be sexual sin, only adultery. And Hillel said, no, there are a lot of things that might be something indecent. And so from the Mishnah, which is the record of the teaching of the rabbis from Jesus' time and about a century later, we know some of the, the things that they were saying that were grounds for divorce. I want to read some of them to you to get the background of, of, this, uh, of how they were um, taking something indecent in, Me- in Deuteronomy 24.1. <clears throat> One rabbi, according to the, to the Mishnah, said, if a woman is barren, if she can't have children, that would constitute something indecent. Another said if she was deaf or she had warts, warts would be something indecent and you couldn't do it. If she did not wash your clothes or make your bed, then that would be something indecent and you could divorce her. Uh, one rabbi said that if her head was turnip-shaped, are wedge-shaped, are hammer-shaped, then that would constitute, and I don't know what a hammer-shaped head looks like, but I'm telling you, this is in the the Mishnah, the rabbis from Jesus' day. If she had poor posture, if she had thinning hair, bushy eyebrows, or no eyebrows, or if she were cross-eyed, if her eyes were as big as those of a calf, or as small as those of a goose, either extreme would be something indecent. If her nose were too big, If she were missing teeth, if she had an overbite, an underbite, was bow-legged, had bony ankles, had a foot as wide as that of a goose, then then that would be something decent. If she yelled at you so that it could be heard in the next house, that would be something indecent. If if her in-laws moved in nearby you, that would be something indecent. If she cursed your parents, if she burned your supper, or one rabbi said, if he found someone prettier. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit funny, but it's also sort of sad, isn't it? The woman would have very few of these rights in, in, in that day. So go from that, having heard that, to Matthew 19. We're going to detour through Matthew 19, which is Jesus' other big teaching on 
divorce and remarriage and come back to Matthew 5. In Matthew chapter 19, then, it says in verse 3, and now you'll understand this verse, some Pharisees came to test him. They asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Well, you hear the kind of discussion they're going to have. Jesus, do you believe this? Is this what they're testing Jesus? Do you think if if a wife is bow-legged or has an overbite that it's okay to divorce? This is what he, they're asking him. So Jesus, in verse 4, refuses to get into this argument. He goes back to the original intent, Matthew 19, 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, before the law, God's blueprint for marriage in Genesis, and he quotes Genesis, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The big description of marriage in the Bible is that God intends for it to be a one flesh union. That the two become one. And so he says in verse 6, so they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, so Jesus goes back to God's original intent. In the book of Genesis, of what God intended, he intended for a man and a woman, one man and one woman, to come together in marriage and make a lifetime commitment and be united together. And so they come with a follow-up question in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a wife give his wife, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? You hear how they're twisting the Deuteronomy 24 a little bit there? They're taking what was sort of a, a small protection for a woman into a command to give her a certificate of divorce when you send her away. And what, and what Jesus answers then in verse 8 Moses permitted you to divorce because your, wife, your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not that way from the beginning. You see, what Jesus is saying here about the law is the law has been moving in this direction. It limits the damage and the consequences of divorce. I'm taking the full direction of the law further back to its original intent that God doesn't want any divorce. Let me give you a comparison of one we'll look at next week because it may help you to sort of see this. We're going to look at next week about retaliation. The law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What that was doing was limiting retaliation. So that if somebody knocked your tooth out, you couldn't kill them. All you could do was knock their tooth out. It limited retaliation. Jesus is going to go the same direction of the law and take it back to its original intent of no retaliation. You, you see the direction there? That's the same thing at work here. What is this law doing? The law was limiting the damage. The law came after the original blueprint for marriage and then the fall. It's a stopgap kind of thing to limit some of the damage of revenge or limit some of the damage of divorce. And so it's saying, if you divorce, you have to give a certificate of divorce and you cannot take her back. This is big stuff. But they made it into an excuse or a condoning for divorce. And Jesus is saying, that's not its original intent. So, Matthew 19, 9, he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So there's what Jesus says. We go back to Matthew 5, 32, since we've read that. And this verse is very similar. 
So we're back in the Sermon on the Mount with that long detour of explanation. So Jesus says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, what Jesus is saying is when two people get married, they form a one-flesh relationship. The two are one. And a certificate of divorce doesn't change that. And so if you go and remarry again, you've committed adultery because there is still that one-flesh relationship. So Jesus is telling us here that divorce and remarriage constitute adultery. And it says when you divorce, you are causing her to commit adultery because it's assuming she's going to have to remarry in that day. There's no other way of survival. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery as well. So Jesus going back to that original intent that God intends for us to stay together in marriage. Now, Jesus gives one exception to that of when divorce and remarriage does not constitute adultery, and he says, except for sexual immorality. You see it there in verse 32? Jesus says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And so, here's the thing there. If your spouse has an affair, they've already broken that one flesh relationship. And so, you are not bound any longer. The Bible is saying to believers, we're not to break that. You can't control your spouse. If they break that one flesh relationship, uh, then you are free. And it doesn't mean you have to divorce. You may, as God has give, forgiven us great and terrible sins, you may be able to, and you're encouraged to, forgive and rebuild trust and rebuild that marriage even where there's been unfaithfulness, sexual immorality. But it says in those cases, a believer is permitted to divorce and remarry without guilt because that one flesh relationship has been broken by that partner. They have not kept that uh, relationship. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul adds another exception, or at least a little variation of that exception, of another time when a Christian's permitted to divorce and remarry without guilt. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12 and following. And there Paul is talking about a Christian who's married to a non-Christian, an unbeliever. Now, the Bible tells us that as Christians, you should not marry a non-Christian, but maybe you don't obey God and you do, and you wind up in that situation. Or maybe when you get married, neither of you is a believer, and then after your marriage, one of you, you become a believer. Then you're married to an unbeliever. What should you do in that situation? Well, the Bible says, stay with it. Every marriage is sacred. Let me read it to you in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. And this doesn't mean it's not inspired. This just means Jesus gave no direct uh, teaching on this. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's letting us know this came to him. I say to you, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. 
And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through this wife. That does not mean that they're saved because they're married to a believer, but it means that there's a holy influence in your home and that you can have a Christian home. Has been sanctified through uh, his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. But if the believer, now here's the exception then, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? So, the second exception that the Bible gives in which divorce and remarriage for an unbeliever does not constitute adultery is desertion, especially desertion by an unbeliever. Once again, there's a one flesh relationship. You're not to break that. That's why I tell people you're going through a rough time, stay in your home, stay together. You have to sleep in a separate bedroom for a while, but stay together because you don't want to desert that that. Uh, you know, people say, ah, we're going to take a break for a while and it'll help our marriage. Well, I, I, it usually doesn't help it. It usually hurts. You stick it, stick it out and work it out. And so, but desertion by an unbeliever has broken that. It, it implies the same thing Jesus was talking about. It implies that person's going to remarry. So that one flesh relationship has been broken. You don't break it. But if the other person breaks it, then it says you're free uh, to divorce and to remarry without guilt. The Bible is telling us here, marriage is serious stuff, right? Uh, do you get that? So if you're single, uh, here's what you ought to think. Man, this marriage is big stuff for a Christian. I better think about this a lot. That's exactly what the Bible wants you to get. Um, that... Uh, as you approach marriage as a single person, realize that God is saying the two are becoming one flesh and you're not to break that bond. You can't always control what the other person will do, but you're not to break that. So it's going to be serious. And some of you in, in marriage today, it means, boy, you, you need to work at your marriage. Some of us are better at changing the oil in our cars than we are in maintaining our marriage, you know? Give your marriage that attention and maintain that. And if it means that you're struggling and, and, and you're, uh, um, uh, you're having a tough time, then, then you do all you can in your power. You pray and you seek counsel and you, because God wants our marriages to last. That's what he's called us to do. Now, what about if you have divorced and remarried on grounds other than what the Bible specifies here. What about if you're a Christian and you're divorced and, and remarried and it wasn't because of adultery or desertion? What are you supposed to do? Well, let me say to you that the Bible says that no sin is unforgivable. No sin is unforgivable. You've not done it God's way. That's pretty clear in the Bible. What you need to do is you need to repent and confess that and to start where you are. You can't start where you're not, can you? You have to start where you are. So you start where you are and, and go on. You see, there are some churches, some churches in our area, 
who teach that if a Christian is remarried after a divorce that was not on one of these biblical grounds, that you're in perpetual adultery and that the only way to be forgiven is to divorce that person and try to go back to the other. Now, I'm not going to specify, but, I, but some of you have come from that kind of teaching, and I just want to address that and say, that's not in the Bible. God doesn't want you to break up another marriage. God's for whatever marriage you're in right now. God wants your marriage, even if it's to an unbeliever, we saw that in Scripture, or if it's, not been, if it's uh, uh, from a relationship that was not right. He's for your marriage. Stick with the marriage you're in. You don't, two, you don't break another marriage and, and go back. You, that would make the unforgivable sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. Only the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. The only sin you can't be forgiven of is when you reject the witness of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ in your life. Then there's no, there's no other atonement for your sin. But you start where you are. If you're in your second marriage, or if you're in your third marriage, or if you're in your fourth marriage. And you know how I can say that? Because one day Jesus met a woman and he said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You had four husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. But you know, salvation came to that woman, and she made a fresh start. And that can happen in your life as well. One time, there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. That must have been embarrassing, don't you think? And they brought the woman to Jesus. Now, interestingly, they didn't bring the guy to Jesus because as far as I can understand, you know, there should have been a guy there as well. They didn't bring him to Jesus. They just brought the woman. And you know what Jesus said to her? Let me read it to you in John chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus said to her, go and sin no more or go and leave your life of sin. So if, if you've not done it right, you've not done it God's way, even as a believer, about marriage, divorce, remarriage, you know what God says to you? Go and leave your life of sin. Go. Start right now. And don't be like you were in the past anymore. You've got to live differently. You can't, go, you can't undo what you've done. The consequences of, of your actions will still be there, but the guilt doesn't have to be there. You're forgiven. You can be forgiven any sin. And God wants to bless you, and God is for you. Go and sin no more. It's tough for, for us as Christians and as a church to hold up everything that Jesus said about marriage because he had strong words to say about divorce and remarriage and he had great mercy for those who are broken. I want to share a parable with you. Jesus talked in parables. Let me try to do a parable, okay? Once upon a time, there was a, a town in a valley and to get to that town, you had to go over the mountains through a mountain pass. And as the road to the town made its way through the mountain pass, there were twists and turns with cliffs on the curves, and it was easy to crash and go off the cliff. And some people did. And at the bottom of the cliff was a town, and they found themselves with people who were hurting there, and there was no ambulance service, no way to get them quickly to the hospital. And the, the town leaders met and you know, said, you know, we need to do something about this. There are, there are people who are getting hurt there, and, and it's our civic duty. We need to get an ambulance service. So they put together an ambulance service and bought an ambulance, and so that when people coming to their town didn't navigate those curves and crashed off the cliff, then they could 
help them and get them some aid quickly. This kept happening, and some leaders of the town said, you know, we're really going about this problem the wrong way. We're just picking up broken people at the bottom of the cliff. What we ought to do is put some warning signs up there on that road so people don't run off the cliff. That'd be even better to stop them from causing the problem. Why don't we spend our money instead on this ambulance service? Why don't we spend our money on some guardrails and some warning signs up there on those curves? And so they did. They discontinued the ambulance service, and they, they put warning signs. Sharp curves. Steep cliffs. 14 people have died. Don't. Slow, go slow down. Don't drive fast. Put some guardrails. It helped. Not as many broken lives. Not as many wrecks. But some people still didn't slow down enough. Still went off the cliff. Town came back together and said, you know, there's still people getting hurt. We need to get the ambulance service back. And, and some of the people said, we warned them about it. It's their problem. And others said, no, we can do both. Here's where we are as Christians. Some churches put up warning signs. And they're going to tell you what I've told you today from Matthew 5. That you're going to wreck your life. This is not God's will for you. But they don't help you when you get to the bottom of the cliff. They just tell you what's wrong. There's some churches that are good at running ambulance services. And they welcome broken people and minister to them. But they're not going to tell you the truth. They're not going to tell you the warnings. we got to be a church. we got to be individual Christians who do both. we got to be people who say, danger ahead. we got to put up warning signs. And we got to minister to those whose lives are broken at the bottom of the cliff. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, who said to the woman, go and sin no more, said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another except for sexual immorality commits adultery and causes her to commit adultery. we got to do both. we got to be like Jesus. If you're here today and you're at the bottom of a cliff, you're broken God loves you. You admit you've messed up. You start where you are. He'll provide you healing, love, acceptance, and kindness. Whether it's in this issue or in any other. If you hadn't got off the cliff yet, you know what Jesus says to you? It's a whole lot better not to get broken. It's a whole lot better to follow my path, the different way of life. And your life will be better. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Oh, Lord, I want to pray today about relationships between men and women. I want to pray for singles who are here, who are some of whom are thinking about marriage or high school people got marriage maybe somewhere in their future. Maybe you want them to be single, but maybe you have a, a marriage partner for them. Oh, God, help them to be wise and discerning and to follow your path and to take marriage very seriously. I pray for marriages today. I pray for every married person listening to me right now. I pray that you will keep them from the evil one. I pray you'll help them to love their spouse with a Christ-like Calvary kind of love. I pray you'll bind marriages together and help us to be strong. 
I pray you'll give us perseverance even when there's a partner who is not following your will. And I pray for those whose lives have been broken and they're raw and they're hurting, or those who've had to start over, that you'll give to them your acceptance and grace that you give to all sinners, that they'll feel your love, that they'll have your resources of power to take the next step in their life, to know that this is a place that loves them and accepts them and prays for them. Oh Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that we who are sinners will admit our sin and turn to you and find forgiveness and direction and hope in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me? And we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, I want to invite you to come and follow Jesus Christ. It's going to be a tough way following him. You're going to have to live differently. But it's the road that ends in heaven. And it's the road that has power all along the way. And it's the best life for you because Jesus is the one who created it. Would you come and follow Jesus if you will? Walk forward and meet me or another pastor here. Have baptism next Sunday. You can make that initial confession and baptism next Sunday. If you choose today, come and indicate that. If you need a church home, we'd welcome you into this church family by repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus and baptism. As God speaks to you, would you come?
chains you overcome you gave your life to give me mine you say that I am free how can it be thank you please be seated if you will we're going to continue to worship by giving our offerings to the Lord in response to his goodness to us. If you're a guest and you have a guest card, remember just to place that in the offering plate. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we lift up your name and thank you for, for being the God that when we don't follow those road signs and warnings, that you're there to mend us and make us whole again. We ask that you bless these offerings as we do your work. And just guide us as we take these funds and do your will. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Take me back to the day I met you when my dead heart came alive. I was running but you came chasing you couldn't wait to Grace that's still amazing. I'll dance. 
Today is a Connection Group Leader Appreciation Day. I want to add my thanks to some of the key leaders in our church, our Connection Group leaders. We have 57 Connection Groups in our church, and we have 80 people who lead every week as Connection Group leaders. Our children and preschool classes have two leaders in each class, so for 57 groups, we have 80 leaders. These are key folks in our church. Thank you for for leading, thank you for ministering, for connecting people to God, to the Bible, to one another, and to ministry week by week. We're about halfway through the, the year of your service. Keep running the race. Keep giving your best. And we want to say thank you to our Connection Group leaders. God bless you. I want to ask Leah Hunt to come stand by me. Our uh, church, our personnel team has a, a policy. We recognize staff members on five-year increments, including part-time staff. And Leah Hunt uh, has served 25 years as church organist for our church. And so we want to just congratulate her. She started when she was 14, right? Starting with you, 14. And we have just a small gift to say thank you for your service to the King and to our church, and we appreciate you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Tim's going to come and, uh, and lead us in our closing. Let's close in prayer. But before we do, if you are a first-time guest, we'd like you to, we got a small first-time uh, gift for you for being a first-time guest. And so if, as you exit these doors and you go down to your left, you have a chance there to meet our pastor and his wife as you leave. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace, uh, your goodness toward us, Lord, that your word uh, doesn't lead us astray, but it points us to the cross and it points us to you. Help us to fulfill the great commission to be serving others and, and loving others in, in the name of Jesus. It's, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray right now. Amen. Today is the day.